Good morning. Welcome to the Facebook live stream from uh, Grace Baptist Church in Emmett, Idaho. We're glad you're joining us. And uh, for those of you who are watching live and for those of you who will be watching later, we are thankful for the technology that God has given us that we can gather together spiritually, uh, one in spirit through God's Holy Spirit and worship at a time like this. And we're praying that our technology will work a little bit better this week. We had some glitches last week. Uh, there was a time where uh, we lost our signal through T-Mobile and I had to switch over to uh, uh, the internet service and the quality wasn't as good. And uh, one of the funny things was, you know, when your video shows up later on, on Facebook or on any of those, uh, you can't pick what they show to begin with. So it shows me standing behind the pulpit and then I disappear. And, and I'm gone, and then pretty soon my face comes up looking at the picture. And uh, so we're, we're going to pray those kind of things don't happen today, but I, I believe that God has a sense of humor, and, and we should too uh, during this time. So let's commit our time to the Lord and, uh, and go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we do gather in this way this morning, Lord, I pray that whether people are in their homes or they might be uh, self-isolating and, and uh, doing their work today, Lord, but we thank you, Father, for this time of worship together, Father. And we want to also take the time to, to pray for those who uh, can be lonely and feel isolated today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with them in a, a very comforting way. And we, we pray for our health care workers and doctors and, uh, and nurses and others, Father, who are ministering to people right now uh, in very difficult situations. We pray for your protection for all of them, Lord. And we pray for your protection on our communities and uh, on our churches, Father. And as uh, literally thousands of churches are, are live streaming their worship today, Lord, I pray that uh, you would protect the technology, make it work well, make it work great, Father. And so we can continue to worship and not have, have distractions, Father. And we do pray for our, our communities. Father, we pray that you'd have mercy on us as a nation and as a world, Father, and that you will show us that you are God and you are in control of all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face while the storm howls above me and there's no hiding place mid the crash of the thunder precious lord hear my cry keep me safe till the storm passes by till the storm passes over till the thunder sounds no more the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, there is no need to try, for there's no of sorrow there's no hope by and by but i know thou art with me and tomorrow i'll rise where the storms never dark 
storms come no more. Let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, sounds no more till the clouds roll forever from the sky hold me fast let me stand in the hollow of thy hand keep me safe till the storm passes by I don't know if you've ever been lost in the mountains but it's an incredibly horrifying experience. Even though my dad had taught me what to do if I was ever lost and how not to panic, I panicked, which is the absolute worst thing you can do. It happened my first year in college, and I'd come home for a weekend, and so our family and I, we could go up to our cabin near the lake in Cascade, Idaho, and on Saturday morning, we decided to go out jeep riding, do a little hunting, road hunting, you know, that's where you just stay in the Jeep and you really don't care if you see any game or not because you're just enjoying getting out and enjoying the... It was a warm, sunshiny fall day, a perfect day for Jeep riding. And even though it was deer hunting season, it was just mainly an excuse to get out to enjoy the beautiful fall weather and, and God's creation. And Whenever we went Jeep riding, as we called it, we always tried to find a road that we'd never been on before. We liked to explore, and we found a logging road that was near the top of West Mountain in Idaho, just below what they call No Business Lookout, and now they call it No Business Mountain, which ought to give you a clue of why maybe not we shouldn't have been there. But we came to a wide spot in the logging road, and we pulled over for a while just so we could enjoy the glorious view that was expanding before us and the beautiful fall colors and I walked down the brush a little ways, and I jumped a deer that jumped out of the brush about six feet in front of me, and uh, now it was a hunting trip. And I told my dad that I'd see if I could find that deer, so I would walk up and circle around, and then I would cut back down, and I would hit the road that we were on, and then I would come back. I would circle back. So I made my way up the hill, and when I came to a stream and a gully, I decided it was time to cut down the hill. The problem was I didn't know that the road ended about 100 yards down the road, and so when I cut down through the gully, I totally missed the end of the road and, and missed the road. And I went way past. And then I found myself way further downhill than I should have been. And uh, when you tell yourself, you know, you can never do this, and you know not to do this, and you know better not to do this, and you've been taught not to do this, but I panicked. I went into that full mode where you keep trying to run faster and faster and you pull yourself back and you tell yourself, well, this is really stupid. I've been hunting in this area hundreds of times. I've been in this area hundreds of times. I, I know which direction the Jeep is. Dad taught me that. Why won't my legs take me there? Why won't they just keep going back and forth and, and all this stuff? And since I did not expect to do any hiking that particular day, I was only wearing tennis shoes. They call them sneakers now, but back then they had a real soft sole. They were real light. And as I panicked and ran, I stepped on a stick in the brush, 
and the stick broke and it ran clear through the sole of my soft shoe and deep into my foot. At least it slowed me down. It made me stop for a moment. I took off my shoe and my bloody sock and I looked at that hole in my foot and said, God, this is bad. This is really bad. Then my mind started racing again for a moment because even as a warm, sunshiny day in the fall, it gets down to about 15, 20 degrees at night up on that mountain. And I thought I knew where the Jeep was, so I made my way back up to the ridge, fully expecting to see the bright yellow Jeep parked where Dad had left it and everything was going to be great. And the problem was, Dad was already looking for me, so he had already driven the Jeep down to the end of the road, and he knew exactly what I did right off the top. He said, he thought to himself, yeah, Bill just went down this gully. I knew where the main road, it was a dirt road, down at the bottom at the base of the mountain, clear down at the bottom. I thought, well, yeah, even with my foot the way it is, I can make my way down a couple of miles, and when I get to the road, I'll catch a ride on the dirt road, and I'll just catch a ride down to Tamarack Store, which is about 10 miles down the road or so. There's a phone there, and eventually Dad will come there to use the phone, and uh, so that's what I'll do. When I got down to the main road, finally, no cars. In fact, no cars for hours. And so I started walking along the road, hoping a car would come by here pretty soon, a vehicle would come by, and I ended up walking about 14 miles with a bloody foot. And I finally got a ride about a mile from the store. And when I got to the store, there was a pay phone out in front of the store. And I called the sheriff to report myself lost. I tried to explain that I knew where I was, but my family didn't know where, where I was. So you are lost? No, I So they are lost. No, I am lost. Well, well who's lost? You don't know where you are? No, I know where I am. I'm at the Tamarack store. So who is lost? <laughs> and I finally gave them my dad's name and said, if my dad calls, tell him I'm at the Tamarack store. He knows where he is. I know where, where I am. And after I made the phone call to the sheriff, I went into the store and bought my favorite foods, an Almond Joy candy bar and an RC Cola my favorite stuff, and I went back outside and I sat down, leaned against the booth, ate about half a candy bar, took a few precious drinks of the, the RC as I hadn't had anything to drink for hours, and, and I watched down the road and waiting for my dad to come down that road, praying that God would come down that road. And I started to take my shoe off to look at my injury again, and when all of a sudden dad came around the corner in the Jeep, literally in a cloud of dust, and a great look of answered prayer on his face. I got in the Jeep, and we had to go back up the mountain because Dad had left my mom and sister up there. Uh, they had built a fire preparing for a long night and a search and all of that. And I've often thought of how, how that day would have gone if I had not panicked. And, and since then, I've thought often of Psalm 46, verse 10. The King James Version says, be still and know that I am God. And as I was growing up in church, I thought that meant don't wiggle in church. Be still. Sit still. In fact, there was a lady who used to sit behind a couple of us when we were kids in church, and she would give us lifesavers to sit still and be quiet. You know how we earned lifesavers? <laughs> as soon as we got uh, rowdy a little bit, she'd give us lifesavers and tell us to sit still, and we'd do that the whole service. We all kind of loved that, but... Uh, the New American Standard reads, 
cease striving. Cease striving. The Hebrew word means to stop. Stop what you are doing. The New English translation renders it, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. In fact, Job used that word to describe how he felt when he was so horribly afflicted. In Job, it's translated, relax, stop, relax. It's the idea of letting it go. But Job said, I am seething within and cannot relax. Relax, there's our word. I cannot stop. I cannot stop what's going on inside of me. He says, I'm seething within me. Even though I'm sitting still and I'm sitting in these ashes and and all that, my mind is still racing, it won't stop. Literally, the word means he's boiling. He's boiling within. And why wouldn't what was inside of him stop boiling? Job says, days of affliction afflict me or confront me. Days, days, day after day. After Job had lost all his possessions, all of his children died, Job just sat there day after day in the ashes, scraping the boils that he had from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, yet he could not stop his striving. He could not relax because he was confronted with days of affliction. And for Job, it wasn't just physical affliction, it was mental torture. His mind kept running and running in panic mode. He just couldn't shut it off day and night. So if you have your Bible handy, turn to this 46th Psalm. In the 46th Psalm, we see how the psalmist faces world catastrophe straight on. Here the psalmist exudes a robust, even defiant tone. He looks world catastrophe straight in the face and shows us that our true security is in God, not in God plus anything else, but only in God. And this confidence and the threat to it are spelled out with three really good word pictures here. And first we see in the first verse of Psalm 46 that God has power over all creation, over all of nature. He says in in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. And then in verse 4, we see that God has power over those who would attack his city. Those who would attack God's city, God has power over them. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. And then lastly, we see that God has power over the whole world which is at war in this case, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns chariots with fire. Be or cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. 
Selah. Now that word Selah, we don't know exactly what it means, but it's part of the musical nomenclature. It's like putting a rest or a stop in the music. Selah. Stop right there. Pause right there. Think about what you have just heard. In this case about God and his power. It's like the music has come to a crescendo. It's been building up and building up. And then there's that long pause when all of a sudden the music stops. And you know that any moment the conductor is going to bring down his baton. And you can't wait to hear what happens next. But the silence intensifies the meaning of the music. You are fully focused. In that silence you are fully thinking about what you have heard. So I want us to pause right here and pray right now to Selah. Our Heavenly Father, as we prepare to hear from you as we study your word, I pray that you would settle our minds. Help us to stop. Help us to cease. To stop striving. To even put our minds at rest for these next few minutes. Lord, I pray that whatever tries to distract our minds and our hearts, whether it's worry, anxiety, or fear, even daydreaming or or common distractions, Lord, pull us in to what your Holy Spirit says to us, your church. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, minds to understand. Selah. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first verse of this 46th Psalm says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the psalmist uses a great word picture here, and these are the words that inspired Martin Luther to write that that, that great hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. What are mortal ills? Those are ills that take us out, that kill us. And it's the picture here of God who is ever present with us, always with us. He's right here now where I am. He's right here now where where you are listening. He is with all of us in whatever we are experiencing. And he is a refuge. He is a safe place where we can go and be safe. God is a refuge of strength and security, which never fails. In fact, Proverbs 18.10, there's a great word picture that I've always uh, appreciated, where he says, our God is like a strong tower. And, you know, I like medieval history, and I like the, the castles and the towers and, you know, and reading about how strong a fortress they were. And Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong power. So a strong tower, a strong tower. You know, his name is his character, who he is. Everything he is 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 in his name. And it says, The righteous run into it and are safe. We are safe in the strong tower, the refuge of our God. And to make this point, the psalmist picks the most catastrophic most devastating physical event that could ever happen. An earthquake that causes the mountains to slip into the sea. We see this in verse 2. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Can't you just see that in your mind? As the mountains slip into the sea, the waters roar and foam, they splash up and they roar and all those kind of things. Though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. Pause. Think about that. The psalmist pictures one of the most frightening, most catastrophic, catastrophic natural disasters imaginable. The worst thing we can ever think of. Uh, an earthquake so severe that the mountains slip down into the heart of the sea, and when they crash into the sea, everything roars and foams. Uh, a pastor in California said one time, We who live in the mountains of California used to joke about after the big one hit that we would have beachfront property. <laughs> You've probably heard that before. But the psalmist is picturing a quake so big that the mountains get swallowed up by the sea. He is saying this is the worst natural disaster we can ever imagine. Yet God is sufficient as our refuge and strength so that we need not be terrified. We need not panic. As our refuge, we can flee to God and find relief. We can find comfort. And as our strength, we discover that he is our strength. It's not our strength. And that our strength is made perfect, that his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we trust in him. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul talked about. You remember that the Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh, some kind of physical uh, infirmity, some kind of physical uh, affliction. And, and he prayed three times that the Lord would remove it. Take this away from me, Lord. Make me better. Heal me. And three times the Lord said, what? Remember that? No. 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 And Paul said that the Lord told him and assured him in this. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Remember, God's protection and strength are immediately available, a very present help. The very instant that we turn to him. Now, while he may delay delivering us to show a couple of things, our absolute need for him, we need to understand we, we can't do anything without him. We need him. We can always have immediate comfort and calm when we flee to God for our refuge and strength. So whatever personal catastrophe you face this morning, it could be the coronavirus epidemic with all its collateral damage. Maybe you're continuing to suffer from a major health problem on top of the epidemic. Could be that you've had a postponement of a, of a surgery that's important for you or, or one of your doctor's appointments has been canceled and postponed. And, or you may be experiencing the loss or the death of a loved one, or the loss of your job, or, or emotional problems, relational conflicts, or, or whatever. Remember this, God is bigger than your problems, right? God is bigger than your problems. He is readily available to help you if you'll take refuge in Him and trust in His strength. And the second word picture the psalmist uses here, of that of God's power over the attackers of his city. His city is under siege. And we see this in verse 4. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places, dwelling places of the Most High. This is where God lives. It says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Here we see the rage of the nations. The nations made an uproar. God is, is a resource against the raging of the nations. And Now what is interesting here, the psalmist writes, there is a river. There is a river in this city. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. They, they, they have this river in the city of God. The city of God is Jerusalem in this case. And there's a river in it. People are glad because they, they quench their thirst. They get necessary water from this river. Now the problem is, Jerusalem is one of those few ancient cities that doesn't have a river. It's not built on a river. Jerusalem is built on a mountain, on the mountain of God, Mount Moriah. It has no river running past it. Ancient cities needed water close at hand, especially during a siege. Now, when Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem, he was sure that their lack of water in the city would ultimately drive them to surrender. But unknown to Sennacherib, Jerusalem had a source of water. When wise king Hezekiah heard that Sennacherib was coming and going to besiege them, and, and even years before, because this would take time to prepare for, King Hezekiah built an underground tunnel which secretly brought water 1,777 feet through solid rock this was cut from the spring of Gehon to the pool of Siloam. And that little stream supplied all of the needs for water during this siege. And Sennacherib failed. That river is a picture of the greater resource of the Lord himself who is in the midst of her. And first, verse 5 says that, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. And what we are seeing here is that the Lord is the living water who alone can quench our spiritual thirst. He is the living water. You might remember that Jesus told the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And Jesus also said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And the Holy, or Jesus here was referring to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is in us as living water, flowing like rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit within us. And, and so what God is saying to us here is whatever problems rage against us, God's Spirit is the ever-flowing river which sustains us and gives us gladness even when we are under siege. God is our refuge and our resource. He is that refreshing, life-giving, nourishing, living water of His Spirit in times of trouble. And then there's one more picture here. We see the picture of God's power over the whole world which is at war. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. 
He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Nations may rage and proud men may rebel, but God's sovereign purposes in the earth will be fulfilled. He sets up kings and he removes them as he wills. He is God. He alone will be exalted in the earth. The end of verse 10, God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When Christ returns, he is going to crush all opposition to his reign. And the mightiest armies of the earth are no match for his sovereign power. Do you think that God, this God who rules over all creation, and speaks the word, an entire army drops dead, is sufficient for your problems? Yes, of course he is. When trouble strikes, we need to focus on our God who is sufficient. He is our refuge. He is our strong tower. He is our resource. He is the living water of his Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he is ruler. He is sovereign over all. And we need to lay hold of his sufficiency. So the question is, but how? How do we lay hold of God's sufficiency? And the how is plainly stated in verse 10 of of Psalm 46. How do we do this when we're anxious, when we're panicked even, maybe when our minds like Job is boiling and we just can't concentrate and our minds go in one way or the other, we're awake at night and, and we're all stressed out. How do we lay hold of God's sufficiency when our minds are racing and we're desperately trying to figure out what to do? Verse 10, God says, cease striving, cease striving, stop. Stop what you are doing and know that I am God. Know that I am God. You know, it wasn't until a stick ran through my foot and forced me to stop that I actually stopped. I'm sure I was praying without ceasing, even while I was panicked. Oh, God, help me. Tell me where the Jeep is. How do I get back to my family? I was worrying about them, knowing they'd be worried about me. And as I physically hurried, You know, I'm sure I was constantly talking about God, but my mind was racing. My mind was boiling. But it wasn't until I actually stopped, and God made me stop, and looked at the bleeding hole in the bottom of my foot, could I really concentrate on my prayers to God. And I said, oh God, this is really bad, and realized how hopeless And helpless I was, could God get my attention? And he did. Cease striving and know that I am God. And when I stopped, and only when I stopped, God started to show me what I needed to do and minister to me. I started to trust what I knew about my heavenly Father, that he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He knew where I was. He knew where my family was. And I started to trust in what my earthly father had taught me. 
You know, the things that we have learned that are right and true and correct, whether from God's word or what our, our fathers and mothers teach us. That Ever since I was a little kid, walking behind my dad, trying to keep up with him in the mountains, uh, dad taught me what to do. Dad would often stop and ask me, well, which way is the Jeep? And I go, huh? <laughs> and I would point and say, well, well, it's that way, right over there. And if I got it wrong or I didn't know, God would tell me what I missed and how not to miss it. And God taught me if I was ever lost, or Dad taught me if I was ever lost, follow a stream or a goalie downhill. The main roads and the rivers are always downhill. Now, of course, with little kids, we tell them, hug a tree, right? <laughs> what do we tell them? Stop. <laughs> See, striving. Hug that tree. Somebody will find you. But also, as I looked at that hole in my foot, I also remembered, as a believer in Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit lives in me. And the Holy Spirit teaches us in times like these. And that's what it means to know God. Cease striving and know that I am God. And that according to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it, to know God also means that. This is what we know of God. Isaiah said, Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right, or turn to the left. You can trust that your heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you will speak to you when you stop and listen. And sometimes it takes some time for us to get it, doesn't it? After that grand adventure, when we drove home from the cabin the next day on Sunday morning, I was in a hurry to get back to college. I didn't want to miss my ride back. And so that Sunday afternoon, I rode with a fellow student back to Pocatello, about a six-hour trip. And we got back fairly late at night. And it wasn't until Monday morning that I went to see the doctor. And the doctor looked at my foot and said, when did you do this? And I said, Saturday. Saturday. And the doctor read me the riot act about blood poisoning and all kinds of scary things that he would have to leave the womb open and I'd have to treat it with this solution that I'd squirt in three or four times a day that really hurt bad. And all of that, for goodness sake, you, know, you wonder, why don't we get it? You know, why didn't I stop and think again? But I want to close with an example from God's word. And it comes from the book of 1 Kings in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18. In the 18th chapter of 1 Kings, we see what happened when the prophet Elijah was on Mount Carmel. Remember that? Elijah had faced off against 450 prophets of Baal when Elijah had proposed a battle of the gods. The Lord God, the one God against Baal, who had 450 prophets on his side. So there was one lone prophet of God and the prophets of Baal numbering 450. You know, when God is on our side, it doesn't matter what the odds are, what the numbers are, does it? And so Elijah told the prophets of Baal, you build an altar and put a sacrifice on it, but put no fire under it. And I will build an altar and put a sacrifice on it, and put no fire under it. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. Now Baal was the God of thunder. God, Baal was the God of fire. The God of lightning and fire and thunder. 
if anything a god of fire could do, he should be able to start a fire, right? And so the prophets of Baal said, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, they, they were all over that. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. And so they prayed to their God all morning. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no answer. There was no answer. And to show their intensity, they cut themselves and blood gushed forth. But there was no answer. And no one answered. But then it was Elijah's turn. He had the altar of God drenched with water three times just to show there was no trick. Nothing up his sleeve. And then he prayed simply in verse 36 of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah took all 450 prophets of Baal, took them down to the bottom of the hill at the stream, and he killed them with his own sword. Now you'd think that Elijah could handle anything after that experience, right? But look at verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab was the king, and Jezebel, you've probably heard of her. Ahab told Jezebel that, all that Elijah had done, that he had killed all the prophets with the sword. These were her prophets. When she moved in the palace with Abraham, she brought 450 prophets of Baal and 400 false prophets of the Asherah. These were her prophets, and they had all been killed. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of the one of them by tomorrow about this time." Elijah, you've got 24 hours to live. Then, Elijah, you're dead meat. So what does this prophet of God who just came off this great mountaintop experience do? Elijah panicked. He ran. Verse 3, And he was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O God, take my life, for I'm not better than my fathers. In other words, I'm guilty of the same sins that they have done. But notice what God doesn't do here. He doesn't shame Elijah. God never shames us. He doesn't say, Elijah, you are so stupid, you never get this. What kind of prophet are you? you? You witnessed my power, you saw me work. What's the matter with you? You shouldn't be afraid, you shouldn't want to die. No, God never responds that way. God never rebukes us for how we feel. Rather, God first ministers to Elijah's physical need. 
Watch how God tenderly ministers to Elijah once Elijah stopped. Verse 5. Elijah lay down and slept under a juniper tree. I guess after several days journey. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And the angel said to him, Arise, eat. And then Elijah looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You know, waking up to the smell of fresh bread, isn't that incredible? But watch how God tenderly keeps ministering to him. He says in verse 7, or it says in verse 7, The angel of the Lord came to Elijah a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Elijah is ready to get down, or God is ready to get down to business with Elijah and deal with the main reason he had freaked out. Verse 9. Then Elijah came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Well, a little bit later, God's going to correct that because there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. He wasn't the only one left, but that's the way we feel, don't we? during these times. And so God said, Go forth, Elijah, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. Some translations say the sound of a still, small voice. It's used as a whisper. I wish I was right up against the microphone, but I'm not, because it's the sound that the wind makes. That's how God spoke to Elijah. That's how God speaks to us. And God directed Elijah on exactly what to do next. He gave Elijah specific instructions on where to go next, what to do next, where to go after that, and what to do after that. And just like God did for Elijah, God will take care of our physical needs. He will nourish us. He will give us rest. Even as we self-isolate and stay in our homes and we practice social distancing when we get out. And I like the way my cousin up in Washington State, near where the epicenter is up there, she put on Facebook, it's not social distancing, it's physical distancing. We're not social distancing. We can still keep in contact and make phone calls and, and text one another and, and let people hear our voice as we minister to one another. You know, God is still in that. But God has gotten our attention. 
We've had to stop. The societies, the cultures of the whole world are coming to our stop, to a stop. Many of aspects of our daily lives have been forced to stop. Why? So we can hear God's voice. To see striving. To know that He is God. That He will be exalted among the nations. He will exalt Himself in the earth. Remember, the Lord of hosts is with us. God, the God of Jacob, is our stronghold. Shall we pray? Selah. Father, once again, we have stopped. We have come to you. Father, I thank you that you will keep ministering to our hearts and to our lives, Father. Father, you will tell us what to do through that still, small voice. And Father, I thank you that... uh, You have even made us stop in some situations, Father. Help us through your Holy Spirit to focus on you, to rely completely and totally on you, Father. And Lord, I pray for those who are totally and utterly alone at this time. Those who are on respirators and in ICUs where family cannot visit, where they cannot hear, a family voice. But Father, I pray that they would hear your voice, that you would minister to them and comfort them. You said you would not leave us nor forsake us. Father, you said you would not leave us as orphans, but you would come to us. Father, may they know your presence in a special and wonderful way. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.